My name is Guy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm glad to report that um, our student ministry team is back from Korea, and uh, Jeff reports to me that the trip was a 10 out of 10 on the scale. It was amazing, and you'll, you'll hear more about that. This is great. Thank you for your prayers for them. Yesterday afternoon, we had a service here in the sanctuary, and it was a memorial slash celebration of life service for a man in our church, Greg McQuaid, who passed away suddenly. He was 62 years old, and, um, you know, he had been struggling with some health issues, but nobody expected this to happen so it was very sudden, and um, we gathered together yesterday, and it was an amazing time. I mean, so tons of people came, and um, the things that were shared about his life were so beautiful, it really moved me. One of the things about Greg, he was a very loving guy, and uh, the story that I think I liked the most, his son Connor was up here telling the story that... Greg had gone to visit his son in Nashville. Connor was a student, a med student there in Nashville, I think at Vanderbilt. And um, so Greg came out to visit him. And during the visit, um, Connor knew this guy was a homeless guy that he would go out and sit with occasionally on a bench. So they went out and they sat next to the homeless man on the bench and spent like an hour out there with this guy. And uh, then Greg flew home and come to find out that like a week later, uh, Greg got on a plane, flew back to Nashville um, so he could hang out with the homeless guy. And um, he literally was there for two days, spent the night um, just sitting on the bench with this guy. And uh, I guess Connor saw him and said, hey, uh, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what, what, what's going on? He said, I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see this guy. And, uh, and I just, that's amazing. It's an amazing story. And it's a true story. And it's, it's that story sort of captured so much about Greg McQuaid, and I found myself sort of just wanting to take notes as people were sharing and to say, these are lessons in how to be a friend. These are lessons on how to love like Christ would love. So um, so it's a real loss to have Greg um, not be with us anymore. But it's a testimony to Christ to see um, how the Lord worked in his life and used him in tremendous ways. It's awesome. Hey, we're going to open our Bibles today, so if you need one, raise your hand, and we're going to read in the Scriptures. Don't be shy to raise your hand and grab a Bible and follow along on the printed page if you would like this morning. You can open up that Bible to the book of Colossians in chapter 3 as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. We're winding down. In fact, next Sunday will be our last Sunday in the book of Colossians, but it's been a great study. There's something that is that is really kind of burning in my soul and my heart to share with you guys this morning, and this is the way it goes. The power of God lives in the place of Christ-like humility. So that's a headline. I'd like to give you a headline to kind of to ponder, all right, as we, as we go through this. So think about it. The power of God lives in the place of Christ-like humility. And I think that some people might be surprised at that truth or at that claim. And the reason why is because we don't often associate the word 
power with the word humility. That's not generally two words that we would naturally put together. Power and humility. In fact, I think largely we don't know what to make of the word, the word humility. If I were to ask everybody to write out their own definition of humility, I think a lot of people would go, no, I didn't really think about that. Like, what, what exactly might that mean? There was a group of adults who were introduced to, to in a certain setting, the word humility was brought up and their reaction to the word humility. And the great majority of them, immediately what they did was they told stories of times in their own life when they had experienced some type of public humiliation. <laughs> That's what they thought. The word humility, I thought, oh, I remember one time when I was like really humiliated in front of a group of people. And haven't we all had that experience? My mind, when I read that, immediately went to an episode, a sad, pathetic moment in my own life. <laughs> when I, um, there was, a, I had a period in my life when I imagined myself to be a piano player. So, you know, I play the guitar and, and that's okay, but it, it's like that wasn't good enough because like now I'm going to play the piano. And, um, and so I thought I was getting pretty good. You know, I have a, the problem of overconfidence in life a lot. <laughs> and so I went to this, this event. It was a Thanksgiving event. There were hundreds of people in this auditorium. And uh, I volunteered to do a song. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the piano. I'm going to play this song. Everyone's going to be blessed. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be amazing. <laughs> So I got out there, you know, behind the keys, and, uh, and it was kind of a challenging song, actually. And I was singing, I'm going to sing this song and play it on the piano. And I got into this song, I, I got in about 30 seconds into this song, and I had that moment, we've all had that moment, haven't we, where you're stricken with terror, and you're like, I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> like, I don't know how to play this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what am I thinking? So this is the inner dialogue that's going on. I'm singing and playing, and in my mind, I'm going... This isn't going to end well. This isn't going to end well. And sure enough, it's like, you know, it's like all the keys just melded together into a block of wood. I couldn't play. I couldn't sing. I just stopped. And I looked up, and everyone looked up at me just horrified. And I went, oh, no problem. I'll just start again. Big mistake. So then I start again, get to the same point in the song, and I just stop. Now, this, I couldn't recover this. You know, often I can recover, like, you know, make a joke, do something funny. Like, oh, yeah, I plan it that way. That illustrates my next point. But <laughs> nothing came to me. And I just hung my head in shame and just walked away. And everyone, everyone went, that was really sad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... When you think of the word humility, there's a good chance that, that where your mind might go is, yes, I know when I have been humiliated in my life. But being publicly humiliated in a moment in which you didn't intend to be, that's not a good biblical definition of humility, by the way. A group of sixth graders were asked to reflect on the word humble. When you think of the word humble... What words come to mind? And the sixth graders responded with words like this. Sad, embarrassed, shy, lonely. Isn't that interesting? So we don't have a category. We haven't thought a lot about a quality of humility or of being humble. And in our society, those things are not always viewed positively, but certainly not associated with power. I don't think of sad lonely, shy, embarrassed as power words. 
you know. But I'm telling you that the power of God actually lives in the place of Christ-like humility. And that's got to grab our attention. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 12. Colossians 3.12. Now, this is our passage. And last week, Adam did a wonderful sermon on this passage. But I want to kind of cover some of the same ground and look at something from a a perspective. In Colossians 3.12, it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's a list of qualities. It's like the Apostle Paul, he's, he's talking to the, these Christians and he's saying, I want you to be like this. Christ wants you to be like this. These are the qualities that need to be in you. And in the middle, just sort of like right there is a hinge in the center of that list comes this word, humility. He says in verse 12, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Over the last year, I've been doing a deep dive into a certain subject, and the subject is what does it look like to be a living, healthy church community? That's the deep dive. What does it look like to be a living and healthy church community? Pastor Christopher and I, a year ago, went up to Canada. We spent a week, and we just immersed ourselves in prayer and in study and in the Bible, and we asked the question, what does it look like to be a living healthy church community. And the reason we're asking that question is, for one thing, because we care about our own church community, and we we want to answer that question for our own church. But we also ask that question because we want to know how we can help other pastors and other places to answer the same question. So in two weeks, I'll be going to Rwanda with Pastor Eric and Darren Larson, who's a pastor up in the Washington, uh, Seattle, Washington area. And we're going to go over and we're going to share with African New Life pastors and their leaders on that very question. What does it look like to build a living, healthy church as opposed to a sick, unhealthy church community? Can you tell the difference? If you were to look at a person, there's a good chance you could evaluate and you could say, you know, that looks like a kind of a healthy person. I mean, you might be tricked, but generally you might say, you know, like, I, yeah, I can kind of tell it's, they look healthy. Or if someone was really sick, you, there'd probably be signs, physical signs. You go, well, they just, they don't look well. So we can discern that when it comes to a, to a person. But what about a community? What about a church? Like who you walk into a church and, and be at a church for a period of time and say, you know what? I, I actually see, I can actually see the signs of health, of a living, healthy church. What would those signs be? Those are the things we're going to talk about in Rwanda. And then Christopher and I will go to Myanmar in September, 
and um, with Pastor No Poom and some of his leaders, and we'll do a very similar thing. Okay, what does that look like? In the fall, we'll talk about it at our church. What does that look like? So for a year, I've been sort of obsessing about this. And you know what's strange? In, in, in the, this whole year, there's one word, there's one theme that, that seems to, to just be rising to the surface. I see it over and over again, and it is the word humility. I see it in the lists of the Apostle Paul as he lists out qualities for the church. I see that word. It's inescapable. That word humility keeps showing up. I hear it on the lips of Christ when he's teaching his disciples. That word humility, it just comes up. I recognize it as the heart of the gospel message itself and the power of the gospel. So I'm seeing it everywhere. And this morning... We're going to look at one word. Basically, it's the word humility. We're just going to do a deep dive. I want to show you some passages that talk about that. And I want to think about this question. How does that word relate to our lives, to our lives as Christ followers? How does it relate to our lives as a church community? How does it relate to our ministry to the world around us? And Here's my proposition for you. I'm telling you that the power of God actually lives in the place of Christ-like humility. And that we need to know that. It's really important. Let me show you a couple other places where we're going to find this word. We could go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And there we will find, again, Apostle Paul Speaking to the church, he cares about the church. He wants it to be a living, healthy church. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Sounds similar to what we read in Colossians, doesn't it? And now he's begging. He's not just instructing, he's begging, (laughs) urging. Please, please, please. I want you to live a life worthy of this amazing calling to be God's people, to be the church. And then he heads the list with humility. It's all humility. And then come associated ideas of bearing with each other, forgiving each other in Christ. But humility leads the way. Or we could just go next door from Ephesians to the book of Philippians. And here's what we would find in chapter 2 of Philippians and in verse 3. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there it is again. Humility. He's worried about these Christians at Philippi. He wants them to do well. He wants their church to thrive. And so he instructs them. So you know what you need? You need humility. And you know what kind of humility that is? It's Christ-like humility. But what is that? How could we define Christ-like humility? 
What is unique about Christ's humility? Here's the way it works. If you step down in order to lift up others, that's when you begin to live in Christ-like humility. The essence of Christ-like humility is to step down so that you might lift up others. That's the equation. That's the way it works. And when you step down in order to lift up others, you've begun to live at the power center of the gospel. The power of God lives in that place. And you begin to see God do amazing things in your life, in your church community, through your community to the world, all because of Christ-like humility. Now, I've studied about Christian humility through the years. I've read different books and thought about it a lot because it's an important topic. I know that. But sometimes I've heard descriptions of humility and and what it means to be humble that have sort of left me scratching my head going, "I, I think there's more to it than that. For instance, here's a description of how a Christian can or should be humble. It goes something like this. When you recognize the greatness of your sin and the holiness of God and the distance between God's holiness and you as a sinner, then you you can't help but be humbled. You'll be humbled by that. And I completely agree. I would say amen. That's, that is a profound, beautiful truth. I see I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. And God is perfect and he's holy. And, and, I just, and there's this giant gap. It's, it's humbling. Even today, and I think in our first service, Pastor Eric was talking about the creation around us. And we see the creation, how huge it is. And God, the creator. And we realize we're, we're just a part of something way bigger than us. And our response, I mean, it's got to kind of humble you. It puts things in perspective. Absolutely, it's true. But here's, here's my problem. I want you to think with me about this. I feel like there has to be something more than that. And the reason why is this. The Bible says that Jesus is humble. Jesus is humble. And the equation that God is perfect and holy and I'm a sinner, while that works for me, it doesn't work for Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus knew no sin. The Bible says that Jesus actually was God in human flesh. So it doesn't quite work to say that for Jesus, though it is true for me to say God's holy and I'm not and I'm a sinner and I'm humbled, but there's something more. That's true, but there's something more. What is the essence of Christ's humility? That's the question. And the essence of his humility is stepping down. Stepping down in order to lift up others. Actually, that's exactly what we're told in Philippians, in this very passage that we're reading right now. If we read on, we'll see that it's described to us, the humility of Christ. Here's the way it goes. Philippians 2, and in verse 
5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this rich, amazing, famous passage in Philippians, but do you know what it's really about? It's about humility. Sometimes when we read this passage, especially if you're studying theology or something like that, like we, we do all kinds of thinking around this in terms of well, who really is Jesus and the incarnation and all these big topics, which is great, but then we forget, oh, hang on, in the passage, it's, it's about humility. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. And he had just said, you guys, you need to be humble. This is actually about humility. And what is being described? Jesus steps down. Jesus, being in the form of God, steps down into human form. It's a mystery. It's amazing. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself even to death on the cross. Down, down, down he steps. And then, at that moment of humility, at that moment of lowering himself even to the cross, the power of God. He's raised from the dead. Power. You see, the power of God lives in the place of Christ-like humility. And that's being set up as our example. This is the way of Christ in our broken world. It's the way of Jesus. And so Jesus in the gospel is described as being humble. In fact, he uses those words of himself. You could find it in Matthew in chapter 11. In fact, it was read earlier in the service, Pastor Eric read this to us and with us from Matthew chapter 11. And we're just taking a look, we're taking a deep dive into some passages that talk about humility, trying to unpack this, we're trying to understand it for our lives. Matthew chapter 11 in verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Isn't that beautiful? I love that passage. And did you see where he says in verse 29, I am gentle and lowly in heart? Lowly in heart is the same Greek word that is translated humble in the other passages. It's the same one. And it could have been translated, I am humble in heart. I'm meek, I'm humble in heart. Now, when Jesus said that he was humble in heart, he's not saying I'm weak, worthless, I have nothing to contribute. 
and I'm humiliated. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not worthless. Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is raising the dead. Jesus is healing the sick. Jesus has all power. Christ-like humility is not about you looking at yourself and going, I'm just a worm, I'm just worthless, I just have nothing to offer, I don't know, I'm just nothing. That's not it at all. Because that it, that's, wasn't the way it was for Jesus. You know what it meant? It's really simple. Jesus stepped down. He stepped down. He met people where they were. He hung out with the lowly. They felt safe with him, with Jesus. That's the beauty of it. You know, the Pharisees were not so much like that. The Pharisees, Jesus called them out because of their pride. And they wanted titles and they wanted positions and they wanted greetings in the marketplace and they wanted to be lifted up. You know, people didn't want to hang out so much with those guys. But the Bible says, Jesus, the sinners heard him gladly. And who came to Jesus? The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. There they came to Jesus. Who's in this crowd? Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, come unto me. And who's coming? Who's coming? It's not the proud. It's the lowly. It's the lowly. They're coming to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has stepped right down and into their world. He stepped, he's right there with them. It's amazing. Can I tell you something about that crowd? You think, oh, who is, who is that crowd? Okay, well, you say, oh, it's awesome because they were the tax collectors and they were the sinners and they're the prostitutes. And, you know, so it's like, wow, Jesus just loved these people. That's so cool. But then we forget because we can idealize that crowd. We can go, yeah, that's the, that's the crowd for me. A bunch of sinners and tax collectors and, you know, harlots and stuff. That's, that's, those are my kind of people, you know. <laughs> Maybe you think that way. But let me, can I just say one other thing about that crowd? That crowd was not necessarily the easiest crowd to hang around with. You know what I mean? And these are imperfect people. These are people with rough edges. These are people who need a lot of healing in their life. They need a lot of work done. These are people that might have a hard time getting along with other people who aren't like themselves. That's human nature. Jesus says, come unto me. You guys come. I'm meek. I'm humble. I've stepped down. And and Jesus says, I'm going to hang with you. I'm going to hang with you. It's fascinating to me that in those lists that we find in Ephesians and Colossians, it says, be humble. Ephesians 4, he says, with all humility. And then he says what? Bearing with and forgiving each other. You know what's interesting to me? Proud people find it hard to forgive others. You ever notice that? Proud people, it's hard for them to forgive. Proud people, it's hard for them to put up with other people who are slackers, you know, or who, who are rough around the edges. 
Lord, I'm not putting up with you. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this nonsense. Humble people, you know, they're a little bit more like, okay, well, let's just deal with this. And it's like Paul is saying, humility leads the way because without a humble heart, you're willing to step down. You're willing to step into difficult relationships. You're willing to step into situations that are going to be relationally challenging. He says, without that, you'll never forbear each other. You'll never be able to forgive each other. You won't be able to get along. Who is this crowd that shows up when Jesus calls him? I can tell you who it is. It's the church. This is the church who showed up. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, all kinds of people. They showed up. They're in this crowd. And that group of people, you know who they are? That's the church that Jesus is building. When the church was first established, you have all these people coming together, coming to Jesus, and many of them didn't get along with each other. They didn't like each other. You have Jews and Gentiles in the same room. They're like, who invited these people? Like, we don't, we don't hang out with these people. You have rich and poor. You have slaves and aristocrats hanging out in the same room. And all of a sudden, Paul is going, you know, there's only one possible way this group will ever become the church, and it's humility. Every single person in this room is going to have to take a step down in order to lift up somebody else. And when that happens, the power of God will be released and transform this community into something different. That's what this is about. That's, what, that's who is in this crowd. And it's amazing. Now listen, the lesson of humility, it was the most important lesson that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. But it was also the most difficult for them to learn. Did you know that? It was, I'm saying it was the most important lesson for them to learn. And the reason I'm saying that is because towards the end of his ministry, Jesus kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And you know what the disciples were doing? They kept arguing over and over and over again which one was the greatest. They're like, they wanted to know, am I the greatest, Jesus? <laughs> or is he the greatest? Who's the greatest? Lord, we want to know. It's important to us. Just tell us. We'll be okay with it. Tell us who's the greatest in this group. And Jesus kept going back over and over again and trying to teach the lesson of humility. It was so important to Jesus, he knew this. But man, it was hard for them to learn. It's almost like it was antithetical to everything they had ever learned about how to succeed in this life. Take a look at it in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to find the word humble again on the lips of Jesus. Matthew 18, in verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you get to put this in perspective, you've got to realize Jesus keeps telling them, I have to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be crucified. He keeps telling them about the cross, and they don't want to hear it. Instead, they want to know who's the greatest. 
And so in verse 2, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You must become as a child. It's one of the famous sayings from the gospel. People love this saying. You have to become like a child. I've heard so many people talk about that expression. You must become as a child. And there's so many explanations of what that means. People say, well, to become like a child is to have childlike faith. You know, the faith of a child. It's amazing. Or, this is great. To become as a child is just to be open to everything, to all life experience. You know, you're just, just, you're just interested in life, you know. You want to know, you want to discover new things. It's an openness. Become as a child, Jesus said. And you listen to all these explanations, and most of them are complete nonsense. How do I know that? I know it because Jesus himself explained what he was talking about. He probably knew that they wouldn't get it. So he's like, okay, guys, let me break this down for you. All right, I'm breaking it down. Here it is, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child. The child is an illustration of humility. Why? It's very simple. It's because in that society, the child is at the lowest end of the status pole. That child has no status, no power, no position, no rights. That child is invisible. That child is low. It's as simple as that. And so he pulls the child and says, you got to be like this. Now, you see, that illustration does not work in our society. It doesn't work at all for us. Like, we, we hear that and we go, eh, I don't know if I get that. And the reason why is because in our culture, the child is king. The child isn't low. The child is king. The child runs my life. The child is the Lord of my life. <laughs> my son and daughter-in-law, they had a baby. And we're like, okay, well, what can we do? Can we do something for you? They're like, well, maybe you could, like, get the stroller. I'm like, we could get a stroller. That's easy. Let's get a stroller. And then I find out about strollers. I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> the stroller costs how much money? And what does it do? Does it have like four-wheel drive or something and a speaker system? You just put an engine in it and the kid could drive away? I mean, what is this? It's like a little throne on wheels. It's like a little throne. Here comes the little princess, you know, in the $100 Nike shoes and the whole bit. You know, like give her an iPhone right now. She needs to learn, right? This is, this is the child. I mean, you know, here, be like this child. You're like, I'd like to be like that child. <laughs> yeah, sign me up right now. <laughs> I'll trade places in a heartbeat with that kid, you know. <laughs> so the, it doesn't work. So I just reverently, reverently, I just want to suggest an alternative illustration. I'm not rewriting a scripture. I'm just saying an alternative illustration for our times. Let's imagine Jesus is with his disciples and they're arguing Who's the greatest? And Jesus looks up and he notices that they happen to be right in front of an elderly care facility. And he says, hey, guys, let's go in here. And they walk into the cafeteria and there they see a bunch of like 95-year-old people who can barely walk. And here comes, you know, this woman and she's, she has her walker and she's walking across. 
And, you know, it kind of smells like the elderly care home and people have medicine hooked up. And, you know, there's a, the TV's on with infomercials in the corner. And Jesus says, see this woman? You have to become like her. The greatest in the kingdom is this woman. That's the greatest. Now we're scratching our heads because now we've singled out the person in our social setting that's at the lowest point of the totem pole, that has no authority, no position, no control, no status, doesn't know how to get on the internet, like, which is like the worst shame of all. Can't do anything, nothing to, to, to offer you. And these people are invisible. And Jesus says that, you got to become like that. Now we're getting in the ballpark. You step down, step down. What, what Jesus said to them was shocking to them. And can I tell you the next thing that Jesus said? Take a look at Matthew 18 in the next verse in verse 5. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives this elderly woman in the cafeteria with her walker, with the infomercial in the background, receives me. The way you treat that person tells you everything about the community that you're a part of, how you treat that person, you see. And all of a sudden, it kind of rattles you. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. But the disciples, it was hard for them to learn that lesson. It's really hard. Now, earlier, it's in the Gospel of Mark. There was an earlier episode, not long before this happened in the life of Jesus, where Jesus got in a boat with his disciples, and they're going across the lake, Jesus had just done a great miracle. He multiplied the loaves and fishes, and, you know, the bread was multiplied. Many people ate. And so he gets in the boat, and he says to the disciples, he says, guys, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. He says, I'm really concerned about this. I want you to be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the disciples are really dense. They don't get it. They're like, what's he talking about? Like, did we forget to bring lunch? Is there bread here? Like, you know, leaven, bread? Like, what? They, they, they don't even know what to make of this. They start asking around, do we have any bread here? And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about bread. Like, this is an illustration, guys, right? I mean, don't worry about bread. I, I just multiplied bread. That's not a problem. We, I got that, right? Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the leaven of Herod. And the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees, we know what their leaven was because he told us in Luke, it said the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. But what is the leaven of Herod? That's the question. And my answer is the leaven of Herod is ambition. It's ambition. It's the thirst for power, for position, for control at any expense. And Jesus says, I'm concerned about that. A speck, a tiny speck, leaven, just a speck of it. I'm concerned about that because that grows. The disciples are worried about bread, provisions, miracles, 
all this other stuff they're worried about. Who's greatest? They're worried about Jesus. You know what he's worried about? If he worries, what he's concerned about? The tiniest speck of pride, of that drive for ambition, for self-focus. And he says, that will destroy you and destroy the church. And you'll never be the community that I've called you to be. He says, beware. No wonder back in Philippians chapter 2, it says it like this in chapter 2 in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So what he does is he, he, he makes a contrast. So you go, well, what is humility? Well, we can learn by contrast. This is the opposite, he says, of, of conceit. Right? How did he put it here in verse 3? He says, rivalry or conceit. You know, the competitiveness. He says, don't, don't. The opposite of that is, is take a step down. Instead of trying to st- work your way up, he says, take a step down. That's, that's the heart of this thing. You know, the human heart can be really deceitful and tricky. And I know this because I know my own heart. I think there's times where we can be humble, be humble, but it's utilitarian. It's because I know if I am humble, if I, this is the program, I heard it from the pastor, if I'm humble... And, you know, and if I serve and if I take a step down, then eventually I'll, then that's the pathway to go up, right? And then we trick ourselves with false humility. I've done it. This is a story that, that, this is a true story from when I was a young Christian, a young pastor. And I was working at this conference center and I knew that one of the head pastors was going to arrive on the property between, you know, a time slot, like in a, with this, within this one hour. And I also knew that there was a big pile of trash in the driveway coming up to the conference center. And I also knew that this pastor, who was like the, the authority guy, I knew that he had this thing about pastors humbling themselves and serving in menial ways that really meant a lot to him. And so I timed it. This is what I did. I'm looking at my watch. I didn't go out and pick up the trash before he got there. No way. I never would have done that. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, this is the time. I went out in the driveway, and I'm down there, and I'm just picking up trash. It's lowly, lowly me. He's picking up trash. He's serving, sweating in the sun. I'm looking up. Sure enough, here he comes. The pastor comes driving up the driveway. Big smile on his face. He looks at me. gives me the thumbs up. It's like, awesome. I'm in. That night, we have a meeting. He gets up. He makes an example of me. He says, everybody, I want you to know, who is out there picking up trash? Not you slackers. This guy. And, and at that moment, I'm like, I think I kind of blew it. <laughs> it's like it's dawning on me, you know, that this isn't really what Jesus wants, I don't think. <laughs> but listen, the reason I did it, the reason I did it wasn't, I didn't do it so that that guy would get up and, and like blow the horn and say, you're a great guy, you know, in front of everybody. You know the reason I really did it? I did it because I knew that guy was the avenue to power. I knew it. He had the keys to the kingdom. He had the power. And I knew that for me to be on the track of upward mobility in that 
system, I needed that guy on my side. And that's exactly what happened in that moment. And you know what? It was a bitter, miserable, empty experience. (laughs) There's no power in it at all. But isn't that what happens so often? Christ-like humility is genuine. It's like genuine. Take a step down because you really care to lift someone up. You know, it's like get on the plane, go to Nashville, pay your way, hang out with a guy on a bench. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. There's no, you don't get any reward for that. It's just the power of Jesus will come through. I've seen it. I've seen it in our church. I see it when people serve, go up to these military camps, and they just serve, and they just work, and it's like the power of Christ is released in the most powerful, beautiful ways. This is what God wants to do in our community. It's a sign. If you walk into a community that's filled with Christ-like humility, there will be grace, forbearance, forgiveness, the lifting up of others, caring for needs. Those who are the least in the community will be honored like Jesus. You walk into that, you go, this feels healthy. You walk into the opposite, you'll go, this doesn't feel healthy. You might not even know how to dis- why or how to describe it, but you'll know the difference. You see, so this is why this is so key. But the last thing I want to tell you is, that humility is actually at the epicenter of the gospel itself. That's why it's powerful. Because in Philippians, we read about how Jesus stepped out of this position, this heavenly position, and he took on human flesh, and he went to the cross, and God raised him up. And we realize, oh, that's the gospel, you see. It, the humility is the center of the gospel, and it's for you. It's for you, and it's for me. It's beautiful. It's powerful. As Christians, like we live in this reality. This is what we're called to live in and to embody as believers, and we're, we're learning. We're on a path of growth together. I mean, obviously, think about me, this pathetic young pastor who's doing that horrible you know, joke of a, of a thing that I did. Um, well, you know, God didn't hit me with a lightning bolt. I'm really thankful he could have. But instead, he said, just like the disciples, he's like, nah, nah, don't do it, don't do it like that, <laughs> you know. And what does he do? He just keeps teaching the lesson, teaching, teaching, teaching the lesson of Christ-like humility. He's teaching us, brothers and sisters. He's molding us. He's shaping us in the gospel of Christ. It's a beautiful, powerful thing. Let's pray about it. Thank you so much, Lord, for your humility, Lord, which is just amazing and um, I think all we can do is marvel, Lord, throughout eternity to see the Lamb of God on the throne, the one who stepped down, now lifted up. Thank you, Lord. That's the measure of your love. It's so powerful in our lives, Lord, and we worship you for it. But Lord, we also humbly ask that you will send your spirit to work in us that which is true of you, because it's not in our own nature, Lord. We live in a society that is um, really contrary to that, Lord, a self-focused society. And I pray that you will help us to grow to be like Jesus instead of just like the world around us. And through that, Lord, may we be healthy followers of Christ. May we be a healthy community of Christ. 
And may we make an impact for the gospel of Christ in the world. Please help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.